0: Sorry, excuse me, just a a little sleepy this morning. Looking around at a few of you, you are too. I don't even want to start with those of you online right now because I know you're still in your pajamas, some of you watching from your couch or vacation, wherever you're at, so don't get down on me. All right, truth be told, love my sleep love my sleep. There's nothing wrong with physical sleep. It's part of God's design. It brings rest, it brings rejuvenation. It helps us, you know wake up, and so I'm, I'm feeling more awake. I'm, I'm feeling wide awake. Physical sleep is good. Spiritual sleep is a different story. Spiritual sleep is bad. And typically what happens is uh, God wants to wake us up, and we might find ourselves sleeping. And he sets alarms in our life to wake us up. Those alarms might be a message from his word. It might be a nudge from the Holy Spirit. It might be a conversation with another follower of Christ. It could be a crisis. It could be the birth of a child. It could be the death of a loved one. But regardless, God will have alarms go off in our life that he wants to wake us up spiritually. But the question is, will you wake up Or will you just hit snooze and go back to bed? And so for anyone watching right now or who's here who does not know Christ as their Savior, he wants to awaken you to experience him. He wants you to experience his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. He wants you to experience his presence in your life. And so he's going to have these alarms go off to wake you up so that you can come into relationship with him hopefully you won't hit snooze and go back to sleep. For those of us who know Christ, uh, we're motivated to stay awake out of our love for Him, out of gratitude to Him, uh, out of the mission to reach others who don't know Him. We're motivated by our faith, especially the part of our faith that says that Jesus Christ is returning. That motivates us to stay awake spiritually. Because we know that Jesus was born, we know that he lived and did miracles, lived a perfect life, we know that Jesus Christ died on the cross, we know that he rose from the grave, we know he ascended to heaven, and we know that he is what? Coming back. Jesus Christ is returning. And so the Christian life is really this interesting experience of looking back on the cross of Christ, our source of healing and forgiveness, It's looking around at what God is doing around us, in us, around us, through us. And it's looking forward to the return of Christ that we await and that we long for. And the return of Christ is a huge part of our faith. That's why we live fully awake as Christians. Now, the Bible speaks a lot about the return of the Messiah, the return of the Christ, the return of Jesus. In fact, one scholar estimates that over 2,100 times the Bible references the return of Christ. Eight, over 800 of those times are in the Old Testament, and about over 300 are in the New Testament. About one out of every 30 verses of the entire Bible reference the return of Christ. So you don't want to neglect that part of theology. And we've been spending a lot of our time this summer, uh, looking at the return of Christ, uh, in a, or I should say looking at a book that speaks about the return of Christ in such a way that it is designed to encourage us to live a certain way in light of it. And it's the book of 1 Thessalonians. And for those of you who have not been here, uh, God used a man in the Apostle Paul to write this letter to a group of believers that lived in ancient Macedonia in the town of Thessalonica, the city of Thessalonica, about 100,000 people. And he uh, referenced the return of Christ in every chapter, saying, live this way, act this way, think this way in light of the return of Christ. And so this book, 1 Thessalonians, has a strong theme of Christ's return. And we've seen how the return of Jesus encourages people because there's a lot out there to discourage us, right? But the return of Christ encourages us in our life. And so I invite you to pick it back up with me today. Join me in First Thessalonians chapter 5. Open up your Bibles or your Bible apps to First Thessalonians chapter 5. While you're turning there, we're going to be in First Thessalonians 5 today. We're going to be in it next week, and then we're beginning a new series. And this new series is called Ancient Ways for Modern Families. And we're going to be looking at some passages in the book of Deuteronomy. And really the, the point of that series will be the foundation you lay determines the house that you build. And so this is a great time to invite your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, especially families who are looking about like, how do I raise my family or my future family? And so it'll be an encouraging time to bring uh, those you've been praying for. But let's look at First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 and join me there. Here we go. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security, and then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains, upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not, what? Sleep, as others do, but let us keep... Awake and be sober. For those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for forgiveness. And Lord, thank you for justice, that you are a God of justice. Lord, I pray right now, wherever we are at in our spiritual journey, that we meet you in this place that you have for us, that we would listen to the alarms you have going off in our life, not hit the snooze button, but to waken up. And Lord, we all have to wake up to something today. And so Lord, speak to us, teach us, teach us, we wanna hear. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. amen. From this passage... We see that because of the return of Jesus, believers in Christ live aware. We live aware, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.1, look at that again. And verse 2. Paul saying to the Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians, that's funny. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. What is this day of the Lord? Because we know that every day is the Lord's day, right? God holds every day in his hand, but there's a specific day, a fixed day, a future day, unlike any other day. And it's the day of the Lord. And really it's a day where God will execute his judgment on sin. And this day is going to be inaugurated by the return of Jesus. And so the day of the Lord is an understanding that it's a day of both wrath and salvation it's the conclusion of earthly history and it's the inauguration of eternity and so god is going to make himself known fully he's going to make his power known he's going to make his justice known and so this day is mentioned throughout scripture both in the old testament new testament uh, all over the place in the old testament it's in verses like isaiah 13 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land of desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. We see it in the New Testament in verses like 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Again, a day of wrath and a day of salvation. Wrath upon the prideful and rebellious mankind who have rejected God, have rejected his offer of relationship and eternal life. It will be a day of salvation for believers a day of fulfillment of the promises for those who have humbly surrendered to him and have believed in his provision of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Uh, this is all taking place on the day of the Lord, and followers of Christ are fully aware of the day of the Lord. Now, let's speak to the obvious here for a minute. We do not like the concept of God having wrath, do we? We don't like it. It's an unpleasant consideration. That's why many people have just taken out a big eraser and erased it out of their theology. It's easier, it's more comforting, it's more comfortable to think of God as just a loving God. He just loves me. He has no opinion about the bad things I do. He's just, he's just love. Yes, God is love, but he's also a just God, which means that one who has justice will execute his justice This day of the Lord will be the full and final execution of his justice. We see little micro executions of his justice all through history, but this will be the full and complete execution of his justice. And here's what's so curious and a bit contradictory. We actually don't mind our own wrath, right? If someone violates you or violates someone you love, you're like, oh yeah, it's on, right? It's on. And so we want justice, Maybe we even want vengeance, right? Sometimes God has done a great work on our heart and we'll give forgiveness. But we understand when we have wrath, but for some reason we have a hard time understanding that a holy God, a perfect God, a sinless God is going to execute his wrath when his holiness and his perfection have been sinned against. And he is going to execute justice on the violators. Guess who the violators are? And don't just look at the person next to you, pull out a mirror, right? We're the violators. We sin against God every single day, don't we? Every day. We sin against Him with attitudes that are sinful, with, with um, actions that are sinful, with attitudes, with thoughts. Uh, we have in our repertoire, on our resume, if you will, if you were to add up all the years of our lifetime. We have thousands, many of thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not even millions of sins. And yet somehow we've convinced ourselves we're going to stand before God one day and go, I'm actually a good person. I'm actually a good person. And what happens is we want to grade on a scale that we're just better than other people. And God's going, you're not graded graded on other people. You're graded on me. And since I'm holy and perfect and you are not, you just flunked. And so the day of the Lord is going to be a day where he execute his wrath on the sins because he's a holy God. And the eternal punishment of hell is what waits as a sentence. Yet there's good news, isn't there? The good news is that Jesus Christ dying on the cross was God's provision of a substitute who took all the wrath of God upon himself on our behalf. And so God says, look, you've got it one or two ways. You can try to do it on your own and try to pay off your own wrath through good works or through religion, good luck with that. Or he's gonna say, or you can accept the provision of my son who I've given and have put my wrath on him for your benefit. And if you believe in him and trust in him, then you'll be saved from my wrath. Jesus Christ is the only way to receive God's forgiveness. It's the only way to avoid God's wrath. There is no other way. And so this day of the Lord is when that will become very clear for people. And although we are not aware of the day of this moment, when it's happening, we know it's happening. God hasn't given us an actual date. Now, over the years, people have tried to foolishly predict the date. Even though the Bible says, no one will know people go, I know, I know. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't know. And so people have foolishly tried to predict the date. We see uh, theologians and scholars for years have taken the passages that allude uh, and, and predict his coming. And now there's several different theories and views and interpretations of when this might happen. It's amillennialism or pre-millennialism or post-millennialism, then we have the pre-tribulational view or the mid-tribulational view or the post-tribulational view and all those things. And there's some value in really looking at those and saying, which one do we feel might be accurate, but we can't get preoccupied there. And I'm not going to spend 20 minutes trying to just unpack terminology here, but this is what I am going to do this week. Uh, This week on our CVC blog, uh, you're going to find two posts done this week. One's going to be on the millennial, understanding the millennial views. One's going to be done on the tribulational views. And I'm even going to share which way I lean in those views on those blog posts. I've invited a couple of our other pastors to do the same. And so uh, I encourage you Wednesday, Thursday or so, check CVC's blog and you'll see a couple blogs related to those things. But for our purposes now, let's not become preoccupied with the chronology of the return of Christ, but more importantly, the theology of his return. We don't want to focus on when he comes. We want to focus on what it means for those who do not know the Lord when he comes. That's what's more important for us. And so as followers of Christ, we're fully aware of his return, but um, but unbelievers are not. And so how do we navigate that? In fact, Let's look again at 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, and 4, because what we see is that unbelievers will be enjoying a false sense of security. They're going to be saying everything's good. There's prosperity. There's safety, right? Look at verses 3 and 4. People are saying there's peace, there's security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Christ's coming will be suddenly. This analogy of labor pains. You know, there's gonna be signs to see it coming, right? Ladies, you know when that baby's coming. There's gonna be signs telling you, oh, we're getting closer, but you don't know actually when that day is gonna happen. And so for the unbelievers, it's gonna be like a thief in the night. What do we know about thieves? They're unexpected and they're unwelcome. I want you to think about that. For those who've rejected Christ, who don't know Christ, when he returns, it's going to be not only unexpected, but it's unwelcome. It's like, hey, man, you're cramping my smile, Jesus. I've got things going on here. And so it's going to be an unwelcomed event. You know Jesus spoke of this event in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 39. He says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, even though some people try, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only, And for as the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, speaking of the great flood, right? They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, remember the flood? Remember when I I executed my justice through the flood and everyone was going, noah what are you doing you're building this big boat this is crazy you don't know what you're talking about laughing at him mocking at him all those things then the flood comes it's game over it's going to be the same thing oh those crazy christians they think about jesus is coming back that's kind of funny let's just keep doing this let's keep doing that and all of a sudden christ will come upon them and whatever they did leading up to the day of christ will determine their eternity on the day of christ And so this is very important for us to realize. It should stir compassion in us. And so as believers, we're aware. We're aware that there will be no escape on that day. We're aware that there will be no second chances on that day. And we anticipate this day because not only is it a day of wrath, but it's a day of salvation. And so we long for that day. We wait for the day. And it should be part of our daily conscience. The coming of Christ shouldn't just be in the back of our minds. It should be on the front of our minds. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, how fully aware are you of the return of Christ? Like when you think about your spiritual alertness and stuff, are you kind of spiritually sleeping when it comes to return of Christ? Where like, I'm doing my job, uh, you know, I'm making my money, I'm spending my money, I'm doing my things, I'm making my plans, I'm building my calendar. and, And Christ isn't even on the radar. Even though he's giving you little alarms to try to remind you. Are we fully aware of the return of Christ? And so as you spend your money, as you make your money, as you build your homes, as you make your calendars, as you uh, engage in the joy of friendship and and relationships, where does the return of Christ fit into all those things? And how does the return of Christ inform how you do those things? Because as believers in Christ, we are fully aware. Not only are we fully aware, we also are to live awake. Followers of Christ live awake. Look at verse 6. This is like the key verse of this whole passage that we've read today. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. I want to unpack this word sleep for a minute because it can be used three different ways. And we see it used two of those ways in the verses that we've read. Uh, One of the ways that the word sleep, and it's the Greek word kathudo, is literally, right? You're literally asleep, you're literally awake. That's that's one way. The second it's what we're using right now is more metaphorically. If you're sleeping, as seen in this passage, you're indifferent. You're lazy, you're apathetic, you're unaware. Okay, it's a metaphor. Then of course, the third way, we see it used at the end of the passages we read, uh, this sleep could also be a euphemism for death. And so if we're awake, we're living, and if we're asleep, we've died. And so it can be used one of those three ways. We see used twice, uh, two of those ways in these passages. So we need to be awake. God's called us to be fully awake. He means alert, vigilant, right? And so God calls us to live fully awake. If I'm asleep, if I'm spiritually sleeping over here, then I absolutely uh, have no sense of what God's doing around me. And as I try to live in my own quest for personal holiness and personal purity, if I'm asleep, I'm not going to win that battle. And so I'm not going to be aware of whether I'm more or less hungry for God's Word, or whether I want to pray or not pray, or if my sins in my life are dominating me, or whether I'm having victory. I'm I'm not going to pay attention to those things if I'm spiritually sleeping. And so God wants to wake us up to that. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But also, if I'm spiritually sleeping, I'm not aware of what God's doing around me. I'm just oblivious to the conversations. All these conversations we have, if you think about it, many of the conversations we have with people, they will say something in that conversation that's a hint to what's going on in their life. It's an invitation to be encouraged. It's an admittance of fear or weakness or something going on, a lack of control. And really, it's it's a little crack in the door to say, come in and maybe share with me. But if I'm sleeping, spiritually, I'm not going to pick up on that. I don't see and hear and sense. And God's got the alarm going off, and I'm like, nah, snooze, (laughs) snooze, snooze. And we don't want to do that. We need to live fully awake as God's called us to do so. So let me just get some feedback from you for a minute, all right? Uh, Let's just build a little bit of a list for a couple minutes. What tends to be true when we are spiritually sleeping? What will we typically see or not see If we're spiritually sleepy. So let me see some hands and we're just going to take some answers here, okay? So right back there. No prayer, prayer, right? Our prayers will be less. We're not going to be praying. All right, what else? Don't be shy. We're not in the word. The word of God has no interest to us. We're distracted. If we're spiritually sleepy, we won't be nourishing ourselves through the word and through prayer. What else? Yeah, we'll love money, right? Right? We will love money and we'll love stuff if we're spiritually sleepy, okay? Indifference, Indifference, absolutely. Indifference, I'd say apathy, right? We don't don't care, we don't care, all right? I'm seeing hands, yeah. Hopeless, Hopeless. yeah. And if we're spiritually sleepy, that that hopelessness will start to creep into our life, right? Okay? Okay, kind of intolerant and impatient, absolutely, okay? You guys say a little longer, Molly. Yeah, no fruit of the spirit, right? When you look in Galatians five, and you look at this fruit of the spirit—love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control—these fruits, okay, they won't be there if we're spiritually sleepy. Okay, what else? No discernment. No discernment. That's good. When um, we see the things going on in the world, when we're in relationship and conversations, our discernometer will be unplugged, <laughs> right? And we won't be able to discern a lot of things going on. Selfish. selfish. I'm sure that's just you. No one else here suffers with that. Sorry, we'll be praying for you, sister, okay? <clears throat> no, nah, we get very selfish, yeah? Not concerned, about the salvation of not concerned about the souls of others, right? We're not going to care about the salvation of others, okay? And who easily, easily angered, yeah. We get a short fuse. Get spiritually sleepy, short fuse. I'm going to add one that someone said from last service: fear. I think fear increases. I thought that was really insightful. So we can keep building this list, but you see, these are the things that happen when we're spiritually sleepy, man. We're not going to be praying. We're not in the Word. We love money. We become indifferent, apathetic, hopeless, intolerant, and no fruit of the Spirit coming from us. No discernment. We're selfish. We're not concerned about others, especially their souls, and we're easily angered and fearful. Doesn't that just sound like a great way to live life? Isn't that awesome? That's what happens when we're spiritually sleeping. In fact, I would just add, if we're spiritually sleepy, guess what? We're not going to see ourselves as a beloved child of God. We're going to try to earn God's love through performance and works instead of resting in the fact that we're his beloved child. We're not going to be self-feeders. We're just going to be too lazy and weak to, to, to consume God's word and, and to take it in. We're not going to feed ourselves. We're going to want other people to feed us. We're not going to be serving other people because we're selfish. Our selfishness will increase. We're not going to become a servant. We're not going to be investors. We're going to take the resources that God's given them. We're going to squander them, squander them on earthly things and, and things that don't last. If uh, We're not going to be disciples. We're going to have no interest in, in training up other people to grow in their faith. And we're not going to be missionaries. We're not going to be caring about other people's souls salvation. So these are the things that happen when we're spiritually sleeping, but God has not called us to that. He's called us to be spiritually awake. Now, let me, I want to bring some clarity here. This is very important. Being awake is not about religious activity. Being awake is about your spiritual identity, right? That's why we always start with beloved child, knowing who, how God sees you. And so spiritual activity without spiritual identity is futility, okay? If you're just doing religious stuff, that doesn't mean you're spiritually awake. You ever sleepwalk? (laughs) If you're just doing religious activity, but you don't know who you are in Christ, you're sleepwalking. You're just doing nice things, but you don't know why. You're doing nice things, but you're not trying to connect the dots to leading people to Christ. And so we have to be uh, realizing our identity and let everything we do come out of our identity of who we are. And and we see some insights to that. Look again at verse 5. Look at First Thessalonians 5, 5. <clears throat> for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. He goes on in verse 7 and 8. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. That means self control. That word sober means self-controlled. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet for the hope of salvation. See, through faith in Christ, we're God's beloved children, and so to say you're a son of something in Scripture means that you have the characteristics of that item or that person. So when Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, you're the son of the devil, he says, you've got the same characteristics and likeness as the devil. And so if we're sons of the light, we know that Jesus is the light. That means his characteristics and qualities and attributes are now applied to us. Therefore, we are to be people of the light, people of the day. And the typical behavior you see in the day should be true of us. And the behavior you typically see at night should not be true of us. And he he gives us contrast. Hey, man, people getting drunk or getting drunk at night. People are usually sober during the day. We know exceptions to that rule, but that's not the general rule, okay? And so he's saying all this behavior that belongs to the darkness. And by the way, when they say darkness in the Bible, they mean darkness. Like for us, this is what darkness means. I'm driving down a street with street lights and porch lights. Like in the Bible, if you were to go to a little village in Galilee at nighttime, guess what? There are no streetlights. There are no porch lights. It is dark. And so that's when a lot of crime happens because people are under the cover of you know night. That's when a lot of sexual immorality is happening because you're under the cover of night. That's when a lot of the drunkenness is happening because, you know, th- that type of behavior of the darkness is not fitting for children of the light. Instead, we're called to be sober or self-control. In Ephesians 5, we're reminded of this, verses 8 to 14. For at one time, I love the past tense on that, right? This as followers of Christ. This is, this is the old self. For at one time, you were darkness, But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake. O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The reason some of you are not experiencing victory in some of the areas of sin in your life is because you're keeping it in the dark. Sin feeds on secrecy. Sin feeds on darkness. And so you're fooling yourself. You're sleepwalking. You're still spiritually snoozing. If you're not letting that, whatever that is in your life out into the light. Some of you are thinking, well, you know, I've confessed it to the Lord. Yes. And you've heard the Lord say, thank you. I forgive you. Now I want you to tell a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. And you're like, that clearly wasn't God. That was the devil speaking to me just now. No, that was the Lord saying, you got to get it out. You've got to tell your spouse about that secret. You've got to tell your parents about that secret. You've got to ask a friend to come and help you with something you're struggling with. That's that's an example of what it means to live like a child of the day. We welcome the light. We welcome the exposure because it's good and it's healing. That's how we're called to live. So part of being awake and alert is fighting for that purity in our own personal life. We're we're told in Scripture to to watch our life and doctrine carefully, to to watch and pray so that we don't fall into temptation. That's part of what it means to be alert and awake. And so we need to make sure that we're not falling into sleep. And God has said something very encouraging here through Paul. He's saying, I'm going to help outfit you so that you can do that. So we don't wear spiritual pajamas, right? This is another passage where we see that God's provided armor. If you look again, at uh, verses uh, eight, right? It says at the end there that we have the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of hope for salvation. And so what happened is God is saying, just like a soldier has a breastplate to cover his heart, right, to protect his internal organs, God is saying, I'm giving you the faith of my promises, the faith of my return to help guide you, to help fight. Also the love that I've given you and the love that I want you to give others, that's part of your breastplate, to live in love. Okay, like even on this topic, there are those people that love talking about the return of Christ. Oh yeah, here we go. And they're like, this is the view I have. This is the only right view. And when we meet, I'm gonna get a lot of pride in showing you that I'm right and you're wrong. Is that love? No. Isn't that a sick irony? I'm gonna demonstrate my love of Christ by trying to prove you wrong. And so when we have spiritual conversations with people who don't know Christ, if we stick it to them in a debate, is that love? No. So so this love, this faith that we have is attractive to those who don't know Christ. And he says, and for your mind, when all those doubts come in and all these things, for your mind, it's the hope of salvation that you belong to me. We'll talk about that in a minute too, but this is hope of salvation. I've equipped you with armor. So now we have the metaphor of a soldier on watch, a soldier on guard as we wait for Christ. And so we're not all, as we wait for Christ, we're not all cuddled up in bed, wrapped up, cozy, sleepy. We're like a soldier on watch, breastplate of faith and love, helmet of hope, and we live waiting for the return of Christ. And and, and we shine the light that he's given us. You can't sleep and shine at the same time. Agreed? You can't sleep and shine at the same time. Some of you are looking at the darkness that's in your home, that's in your neighborhood, that's in your city, that's in the world. and You go, man, darkness is just coming, man. Darkness is coming strong. I have a question for you. Which is stronger, darkness or light? Light. I don't believe that darkness is stronger, but here's the deal. If you start to see darkness encroaching in your life, your home, whatever it is, maybe it's not because the darkness is overtaking. It's because the light's not shining well, my marriage is really in trouble. The darkness is coming in. Well, are you shining the light of Christ that God's called you to live? And things are really hard on the home front with my kids and you know I've got these things going on with my neighbors. Well, are you shining the light that God has made you to be? Or are you sleeping and the darkness goes, oh, I'm welcome to come in. And God has given you alarms. You just keep hitting snooze, and keep hitting snooze. No, you can't sleep and shine. You're called to wake up. And so we need to live in the state of alertness. You know, some of the voices of our uh, more theological forefathers have really spoken to this. I just loved a few of these that I found over this week. One from C.S. Lewis, author and theologian. He says, precisely because we cannot predict the moment, we must be ready at all moments when it comes to the return of Christ, right? Charles Spurgeon, 19th century preacher and author the fact that Jesus Christ is to come again is not a result, reason for stargazing, but for working in the power of the Holy Ghost. It's for working. Don't just sit there looking at like, any, any minute, Jesus, any minute. No, we're actively rolling up our sleeves and doing things for Christ. We even see from Hudson Taylor, the 19th century missionary to China, since he may come any day, it is well to be ready every day. <laughs> And so a sleepy faith is an inactive faith. We have to be active in fighting for our personal purity and we have to be active in telling others about Jesus. We only have a little window to tell people about the Lord before he comes back. So make sure that we're doing that because being awake isn't just about living expectantly, it's about living evangelistically. It's about sharing our faith. Now I assume when you're in an airplane, you don't want the pilot to go to sleep you want him to fulfill his purpose of getting from point A to point B, right? I'm going to assume that if you've ever had a surgery, you would like the surgeon to stay awake and not to fall asleep because you want them to fulfill their purpose, right? If the pilot falls asleep, if the surgeon falls asleep, there's going to be trouble. Guys, if you're a follower of Christ, what's your purpose? It's to tell people about the Lord. It's to live for Christ, be transformed day by day, more like Christ. And while that's happening, telling others about Christ. That's what God's called us to do. And so uh, last week we said, if we don't share, we don't care. You know, we're very familiar with the phrase, if you snooze, you lose. But in this case, if we snooze, they lose. Because people aren't hearing the message that they so desperately need to hear There was a uh, passionate Christian musician in the 70s and 80s. My youth pastor listened to this guy. I had to hear this music growing up as a teenager because my youth pastor loved this guy. His name was Keith Green. Pretty radical dude. Um, Every now and then, just out of reminiscence, I'll put a song on from his and listen to it. It reminds me of my youth pastor, reminds me of my first days in Christ and growing in Christ. There was a song he had called, Asleep in the Light. And the lyrics went something like this, part of the lyrics, Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care, don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, can't you see such a sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's what? asleep sleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well-famed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, get out of your bed. How can you be so numb, not to care if they come, you close your eyes and pretend the job is done? What's our purpose? We can't be asleep on the job. You know, uh, uh, just a real simple example of what it means to live awake as a believer. Uh, just the little things we do. There's a, there's a brother in our congregation named Cito. I, I asked if I could share the story that he had shared recently because I just thought it was a great example of, Simple, simply living awake. He says this. He says, I drive the turnpike a lot. About every eight months ago about eight months ago, I met a toll booth operator named Gary. Every time I went through the toll booth, I would tell him, God bless you. One day he asked me, Why do you always say God bless you to me? I explained to him that as a Christian, it's what I do. I saw Gary every week. For some reason, God always made sure I was passing through Gary's toll booth. I'm sitting here thinking, I don't think I've ever seen the same toll booth operator twice. How do you know God's working? How do you know God's using you? What do you see when you're awake? You keep running into the same guy, right? Well, one day, about three months after I met him, I asked him how he's doing. He said he was dealing with a lot in his life. I told him he could always turn to Christ for help. Then I gave him one of my business cards, asked him to call me if he had any questions or needed to talk. A couple months later, he told me that while at home, he fell to his knees and began praying. He asked God into his life. And then he told me he went back to church for the first time in 30 years. Then I didn't see him for a while. I asked another toll booth operator about Gary. That operator told me that Gary had passed away. I was pretty upset, but then I remembered that he had accepted Christ. I then rejoiced knowing that I will see him again one day. You know, guys, it's the little things. If if Cito was sleeping, he wouldn't have caught like, oh yeah, I'm kind of seeing the same guy every time I go through the toll booth. You know, like what, what is going on in your life where you're asleep and not seeing it? But God wants to use you to share your faith. These are the kind of stories that we are part of when we're awake. So Christ has called us to live aware. Christ has called us to live awake. And believers in Christ also lived assured. Just lastly and briefly, notice that this letter was addressed to brothers. So when you see the phrases like you and we and us it's pertaining to Christians, and what did he say of Christians? Look at verses nine and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's when people get excited and say something like amen, okay? Let me try that again. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, meaning living or dead, we might live with him. Isn't that a joy to your heart? As a follower of Christ, you realize you were not destined for wrath, but for salvation to be rescued by our Savior. How? Because he died. And whether we're sleeping, as in the euphemism, dead, or whether we're awake, as in the euphemism, living, we're going to be with Christ. And so do you live with that kind of assurance? Not a sense of perfection, but a sense of certainty that I belong to Christ. I have come to that point where I realized I was a sinner. I needed him. I let him in and I am the Lord's. I am light. I'm a child of light. I'm a beloved child of God. I belong to him. You live assured when you're a follower of Christ. We see that in this passage. So we're being awake. We're being aware and we're being assured. And when that happens, guess what we get to share with each other? Verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is one of the many passages of the one another's. We're to encourage one another with this type of information that we just reviewed today as followers of Christ. And so if you were to summarize all this in a life message, it would be this, followers of Christ live fully awake. So are you awake today? Where are you today? When you walked in here today, were you wide awake? Some of you were. Some of you, maybe you're spiritually sleeping because you don't know Christ. You've never had a relationship with Jesus and God sounded the alarm today and let you know about his love, his justice, his return and what you can have in relationship. Your response would be to let him in. I can help you do that in a minute. Maybe you're a follower of Christ and whether you're watching online or whether you're here, you've been spiritually sleeping. And some of those things that we listed, you're going, that just sounds like a checklist of my life right now. Wake up. Today was an alarm for you. Don't hit the snooze button. Wake up, live fully awake. That's what Christ has for you. We need to live fully awake. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thanks for these constant reminders of who you are. Thank you for these constant reminders of what you've done. We're so grateful. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ right now. Lord, help all of us to live fully awake, Lord. Help us to live aware you're coming. Let us think about it more than we do. Help us live awake and alert and self-controlled and sober as we try to become more like you as you sanctify us, but also to help others come to know you, Lord. And Father, help us live assured that even though we mess up and fail at times, you hold us strong in your hands. So Father, help us not to sleep on the job. Help us not to get lulled to sleep. And Lord, I pray right now for anyone watching online or who's here who's not a follower of Christ. And if that's you, I invite you to just say a prayer with me. I want to tell you right now, it's not the prayer. It's not me. This is simply a map, a guide of understanding and telling the Lord what you know that it takes to come to know him. And it's on the screen if you want to follow along or you can just pray it in your heart. You can say, God, I come to you right now in belief and repentance. I believe that I'm a sinner who cannot rescue myself from my own sin. I believe I deserve your wrath. But I also believe that Jesus came to earth and died on the cross for my sin as my substitute. I believe that Jesus, as God, rose from the grave to conquer death and sin. I believe that Jesus is coming back one day. And because of that, I turn from my sin and from trusting in myself to trusting in you. I place my faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior and commit my life to live fully awake for you. Lord, we ask all these prayers. We lift them up to you in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen. As a follower of Christ, I encourage you to leave today, live on mission, live awake, live fully for Christ. If you pray today with us to receive Christ as your Savior, I challenge you to take your program out. We just want to help you take your next step to grow. Would you just mark receive Christ in your response card in your program? And if you're here in the room, just put that in the basket that comes around in a few minutes. If you're watching online and you don't know Christ, just email us at connect at and let us know that you gave your life to Christ. And that way we can all live fully awake together. Amen?